The Bazaar is a podcast that deals with mature subject matter that some listeners may find offensive or upsetting. The Bazaar is not recommended for any listeners under 18 years of age. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to The Bazaar. Friday, another episode of The Bazaar. While we're going through this social distancing moment of 2020, I thought I would share a fun fact of the day, something to lighten the mood, something to cleanse the palate, or whatever. Those who know me may know that I love penguins. They are my favorite animal. And if you haven't seen it already, I'm sure that you have, it's been all over social media, there is this aquarium in Chicago that let penguins go on a field trip around the grounds because they were closed due to COVID-19. Go right now, type into Google Penguin Field Trip Chicago and be prepared to smile. It's literally the best thing I've seen like all week for sure. So welcome back to the bazaar. I am currently not in the most professional of a setup today. I am lounging in pajamas half in my bed, but I am here to talk about the wild occurrences to escape current wild occurrences that didn't make any sense, but here we are. If you're looking for comedy, if you're looking for history, if you're looking for pop culture news, this is not the podcast for you. But if you are looking for horrible pronunciations of names, true crime, and unsolved mysteries, then you are in fact in the right place. This week, we are talking about the murder of Elizabeth Short, but you might know her as the Black Dahlia. Information for this episode comes from The Rolling Stone, BuzzFeed Unsolved, Wikipedia, please, for the love of God, donate to them if you are able, and theblackdahlia.org. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29th of 1924 in Boston. She was the third of five daughters of Cleo and Phoebe Short. Around 1927, the Short family relocated to Portland, Maine, before settling in Medford, Massachusetts, a Boston suburb, the same year. This was where Short was raised and spent most of her life. Short's father built a miniature golf course until the 1929 stock market crash, where he ultimately lost all of his life savings and his family became broke. In 1930, her father's car was found abandoned on the Charleston Bridge, and it was assumed that he had committed suicide by jumping into the Charles River. Believing her husband to be dead, Short's mother moved her five daughters into a small apartment in Medford and worked as a bookkeeper to try and support all of them. But ultimately, this is not where the family's hardships end. Troubled by bronchitis and severe asthma attacks, Short underwent lung surgery at the age of 15, after which doctors suggested she relocate to a mild climate during the winter months to prevent further respiratory problems. Short's mother then sent her to spend winters in Miami, Florida with family friends. During the next three years, Short lived in Florida during the winter months and spent the rest of the year in Medford with her mother and sisters. In her sophomore year, Short dropped out of Medford High School. Then the dramatic happens, like I'm talking soap opera level dramaticism. In late 1942, Short's mother received a letter of apology from her presumed deceased husband, which revealed that he was in fact alive and had started a new life in California after running away from his family all those years ago. In December, at the age of 18, 
Short decided to relocate to Vallejo, California, to live with her father, whom she hadn't seen since she was six years old. By that time, he was working at the nearby Mare Island Naval Shipyard on San Francisco Bay. Arguments between Short and her father led to her moving out in January of 1943, the next year. Shortly after, she took a job at the base exchange at Camp Crook, now Vanderburg Air Force Base, near Lompoc? Guys, why does California have so many weird names? Lompoc, near Lompoc, California, living with several friends and briefly with an Army Air Force sergeant who reportedly abused her. Short left Lompoc in mid-1943 and moved to Santa Barbara, where she was actually arrested on September 23rd of 1943 for underage drinking at a local bar. Now I feel like if anyone's caught underage drinking, it's like a slap on the hand and sent back to the parents for a scolding. I don't really know if getting arrested for underage drinking is a thing now. I don't know, maybe that's just because I was never arrested for underage drinking. Anyways, the juvenile authorities sent her back to Medford, but she returned instead to Florida, making only occasional visits back to Massachusetts for her mother. While in Florida, she met Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., a decorated Army Air Force officer at the 2nd Air Commando Group. He was training for deployment to the China-Burma-India Theater of Operations of World War II. Short told friends that Gordon had written to propose marriage while he was recovering from injuries from a plane crash in India. She accepted his offer, but Gordon died in a second crash on August 10th of 1945, less than a week before the surrender of Japan had ended the war. She relocated to Los Angeles in July of 1946 to visit Army Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Flicking. I swear the name Gordon in both of these are complete coincidences. Flicking, who she knew from Florida, was stationed at the Naval Reserve Air Base in Long Beach, California. Shore spent the last six months of her life in Southern California, mostly in the Los Angeles area shortly before her death. She'd been working as a waitress and rented a room behind the Florentine Gardens and Nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Elizabeth Short has been variously described and depicted as an aspiring or would-be actress, but what's interesting about this for an aspiring actress, she has no actual acting jobs or credits that I could find anywhere at all, like not even like background work or extra work or even theater work. There isn't any record of her even taking acting classes anywhere. On January 9th of 1947, Short returned to her home in Los Angeles after a brief trip to San Diego with one Robert Red Manley, a 25-year-old married salesman that she had been dating. Manley stated that he dropped Short off at the Biltmore Hotel, located at 506 South Grand Avenue in downtown Los Angeles, and that Short was to meet her sister there, who was visiting from Boston that afternoon. By some accounts, the staff of the Biltmore recalled having seen her using the lobby telephone. Shortly after, Short was allegedly seen by patrons of the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge at 754 South Olive Street, which was approximately one half a mile or 80 kilometers away from the Biltmore Hotel. I don't know if I got that math right. I got that math from an American website, so please don't quote me on that. Google map it if you're curious. 
Maybe I should Google map it. Let, let's see how far that actually is. Okay, so from the hotel to this cocktail lounge, it's actually only like an eight minute walk or five minutes by transit. So it's really like 0.80 kilometers away from the Biltmore Hotel. Math conversions with Alicia, woohoo! Thank you, internet. On the morning of January 15th, 1947, Short's naked body was found severed into two pieces. She was found on a vacant lot on the west side of South Norton Avenue, which was midway between Coliseum Street and West 39th Street in Lightmert Park, Los Angeles. At the time, the neighborhood was largely undeveloped. Local resident Betty Bursinger discovered the body at approximately 10 a.m. while walking her three-year-old daughter. Bursinger initially thought that she'd found a discarded store mannequin because she was in shock. When she realized it was a corpse, she rushed to a nearby house and telephoned the police. Short's severely mutilated body was completely severed at the waist and was drained of blood, leaving her skin a pallid white. Medical examiners determined that she had been dead for about 10 hours prior to the discovery, leaving her time of death to either be sometime during the evening of January 14th or the early morning hours of January 15th. The body had also apparently been washed by the killer. Short's face had been slashed from the corners of her mouth to her ears, creating an effect known as the Glasgow smile. She had several cuts from her thighs to her breasts, where the entire portions of flesh had been sliced away. The lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from the upper half, and her intestines had been tucked neatly behind her buttocks. The corpse had been posed, with her hands over her head and her elbows bent at right angles, and her legs spread apart. Back then, during this time, there wasn't a lot of official or scientific crime scene investigation like that we know now. At the time, actually, a crowd of both passerbys and reporters began to gather on the actual crime scene. That's actually how she got the nickname Black Dahlia. A reporter who was one of the first to arrive at the scene took several photos of the corpse and the crime scene and threw a flower near her body, thus calling her the Black Dahlia. Near the body, detectives located a heel print on the ground amid tire tracks, and a cement sack containing watery blood was also found nearby. An autopsy of Short's body was performed on January 16, 1947, by Frederick Newbar, the Los Angeles County Coroner. Newbar's autopsy report stated that Short was 5 feet 5, weighed 115 pounds, had blue eyes, brown hair, and badly decayed teeth. There were ligature marks on her ankles, wrists, and neck, and an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. Newbar also noted the superficial lacerations on her right forearm, left upper arm, and the lower left side of the chest. Prior to the autopsy, police had quickly been able to identify the victim as short after sending copies of her fingerprints to Washington, D.C. Because of her previous arrest, she was easily identified. This is where shit gets from bad to worse, as if that's even physically possible at this point. Following her identification, reporters from William Randolph's Hearst's The Los Angeles Examiner contacted her mother, Phoebe Short, in Boston and told her not of her daughter's death, but that her daughter had won a beauty contest. Only after prying as much personal information as they could from Phoebe, that the reporters finally revealed that her daughter had been in fact murdered. Yeah, that's so cruel. 
the Los Angeles Examiner and the Los Angeles Herald Express later sensationalized the case, with one article from the Examiner describing the black tailored suit Short had been seen wearing as a, quote, tight skirt and a sheer blouse, end quote. Media everywhere was calling her the Black Dahlia and described her as an adventuress who prowled Hollywood Boulevard. In the Los Angeles Times, written on January 14th of that year, deemed Elizabeth Short's murder as a sex fiend slaying. On January 21st of 1947, a person claiming to be Short's killer placed a phone call into the office of James Richardson, which is the editor of The Examiner, congratulating Richardson on the newspaper's coverage of the case, and stated that he had planned on eventually turning himself in, but not before allowing police to pursue him further. I'm not sure if there's any truth to this or not, but additionally, the caller told Richardson to expect some souvenirs from Elizabeth Short in the mail. The entire thing sounds so sensationalized and just awful. But on January 24th, a suspicious envelope was discovered by a U.S. Postal Service worker. The envelope had been addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers with individual words that had been cut and pasted from different newspaper clippings. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, Here is Dahlia's belongings, letter to follow. The envelope contained Short's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embossed on the cover. The packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, similar to Short's body which led the police to suspect that the packet had been sent directly by her killer. Despite the efforts to clean the packet, several partial fingerprints were lifted from the envelope and sent to the Federal Bureau of Investigation for testing. However, the prints were compromised in transit and thus could not be properly analyzed. The same day that that envelope was received by the examiner, a handbag and a black suede shoe were reported to have been seen on top of a garbage can in an alley a short distance from Norton Avenue, which is two miles from where Short's body had been discovered. The items were uncovered by police, but they also had been wiped clean by gasoline again, destroying any fingerprint evidence. On March 14th, an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of foolscap? Yeah, sure, foolscap, was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue in Venice Beach. The note read, to whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. The pile of clothing was first seen by a beach caretaker, who reported the discovery to John Dillon, a lifeguard captain. Dillon immediately notified Captain L.E. Christensen of the West Los Angeles Police Station, the clothes included a coat and trousers of blue herringbone tweed kind of print, a brown and white Y-neck shirt, a Y-shirt, I think that's a typo and I meant t-shirt, a brown and white t-shirt, white jockey shorts, tan socks, and tan moccasin leather shoes, size about eight. The clothes gave no clue to the identity of their owner, no names on the inside, no labels, nothing. With expert detective work, Police quickly deemed that Mark Hansen, the owner of the address book found in the packet, was a suspect. Hansen was a wealthy local nightclub and theater owner and an acquaintance of Short. According to some sources, he also confirmed that the purse and the shoe discovered in the alley were in fact Elizabeth Short's. 
Anne Toth, a friend of Elizabeth Short's, told investigators that Short had recently rejected sexual advances from Hansen, and suggested that it was potential cause for him to kill her. However, he was cleared of suspicion in the case. Which, I couldn't really find why anywhere, but if anyone knows, please let me know because I'm curious why he got dismissed. In addition to Hansen, the Los Angeles Police Department interviewed over 150 men in the ensuing weeks whom believed to be potential suspects. Oh my god, I can't talk today. Manly, Elizabeth Short's friend who I'd mentioned before, he was one of the last people to see Elizabeth Short alive. He was also investigated and was cleared of suspicion after passing numerous polygraph examinations. But today we know that polygraphs don't actually show you if you're lying or telling the truth. They just kind of evaluate stress. Police also interviewed several persons found listed in Hansen's address book, including Martin Lewis, who had also been an acquaintance of Short's. Similarly to the others, Lewis was also able to provide an alibi for the date of Short's murder, as he was in Portland, Oregon, visiting his father-in-law, who was dying of kidney failure. A total of 750 investigators went from the LAPD and other departments working on the case during this initial stages. To this day, we don't know who killed, but like I said, there are so many possibilities and suspects that the police looked at and passed over. Like I said, the last person to see Short alive on January 9th of 1947 was Robert Red Manley, a 25-year-old married salesman and the two were having an affair, staying a night at a local motel, and Manley had driven her the following day to Los Angeles to check her luggage at a bus station. Short had told him then that she was going to Berkeley to stay with her sister, whom she was meeting at the Biltmore Hotel. Manley accompanied her to the hotel lobby, but left at 6.30pm to return to his family in San Diego. The police booked him as a suspect, but he was released after passing those polygraph tests. Later on, he was also given sodium penthol, the truth drug, but was absolved a second time. Manley suffered a mental breakdown in 1954 after claiming he heard voices and was committed to Patton State Hospital by his wife. He died on January 9th of 1986. Now, I don't want to go blaming his mental breakdown on possible guilt for killing Elizabeth Short, but maybe it was guilt, just a different kind of guilt. Guilt for not being there when he should have been, or guilt for not doing anything more. Maybe even just guilt for cheating on his wife and then his girlfriend dying horribly. I would, however, like to point out possibly one of the most famous suspects for this case. You might have heard of this person, and if not, let's go on this journey together. Physician Dr. George Hodel became a suspect in 1949 when his neighbor, Lillian Denorak accused him of molesting her. He was placed under surveillance from February 18th to March 27th of 1949, and tried and was acquitted in December of 1949. Lillian was later committed to a state mental institution. Hodel died in 1999, and his son, LAPD detective Steve Hodel, published his book, Black Dahlia Avenger, A Genius for Murder, in 2003. In it, he depicts his father, George Hodel, as a misogynist and a pervert, holding orgies at the family home and raping his 14-year-old daughter. He goes on to claim that his father was the Black Dahlia killer and committed other unsolved murders over the two decades in Los Angeles. 
There is a formidable lack of enduring evidence today in 2020 for the Black Dahlia case. Most of the people involved with the case through law enforcement or as a suspect are long deceased. What we're left with are theories and long lists of men who passed away from natural causes and mental illness. However different all the evidence is, it leads back to the same violent conclusion. Who murdered Elizabeth Short? We may never have an answer. The Black Dahlia is probably one of the most sensationalized cold cases out there. I'm pretty sure the last time I was in Los Angeles, there were tours you could take to go and visit the site of Elizabeth Short's body, and then they take you on some kind of murder tour. Honestly, I could have conjured that, but I believe that is an actual thing you can do. I wouldn't be surprised if it existed. Thank you so much for stopping in to listen to this week's episode of The Bazaar. Episodes come out every Friday, so turn on those notification bells. Now is the time for virtual interactions. If you have someone in your life that you think would be interested in The Bazaar, send this podcast their way. Let's keep this going. Let's build a community online. Happy Friday. I'm gonna go make a snack. I probably should. Peace out, nerds. Thank you.